Hi, all. Welcome back to Woe's Media episode 12, the Mother's Day edition. The Mother's Day edition. That's right. Happy Mother's Day to all who celebrate. Happy Day of Mothers. Do we have any uh, mother-related content ready for today? Um, no, I can't say that I do. I should have thought about that ahead of time, but mine is a little bit more um, business profit legal heavy today <laughs> okay I don't have anything about Mother's Day either <laughs> what have you got for us today so we are discussing the grand return of one of America's institutions as well as another update about award show procedure going forward okay I promise eventually I'll get off that track, but I couldn't resist this week. Annabelle, what do you have for us? Award season. You got to talk about what's relevant, right? I don't right. blame you. You're right. Um, I'm going to talk about the latest um, legal battle going on in the tech world between Apple and Epic Games, which is the creator of Fortnite, yes. um, and kind of what it means for tech companies and sort of like the business model as a whole for them um because there's some interesting questions that have come up there this week so and then my second story is a little bit about the covid vaccines and whether or not we should be waiving patent protection on them so other countries can you know easily replicate the vaccine so it's a little bit ethics heavy for me today but it's got a good good amount of business mixed in as well and you know we're not we're not scared of controversy on this podcast we want to talk about that kind of stuff Never. We run straight into it. All right. So I will kick us off. Um, so on Monday, there was a landmark trial that kicked off between Apple, who is being sued by Epic Games, who, as I previously stated, is the owner of the popular video game Fortnite, um, which was a big deal a couple of years ago. And I'm sure plenty of people still enjoy Fortnite. Um, I can't say I was ever on that train. <laughs> um, me neither. Yeah, not not a Fortnite fan. Never I like the TikTok noise about the tick about Fortnite. It's like ten. I like the 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 memes from uh, Fortnite, but I don't really know anything else about it other than like the major gameplay. Yeah, no, totally agree. Not not our forte, but they're um, anyway. We don't have to talk about the actual Fortnite game here. We're just going to talk about their company and what they kind of have going on with Apple. So there's been a landmark trial between Apple and Epic Games. And Epic Games is arguing that Apple is purposely locking in its customers with the use of the App Store and that the App Store is inherently anti-competitive. And they're basically suing for monopolistic power on Apple's behalf. Hmm. Because the whole thing that this started with that made Epic Games angry enough to decide to sue was... We all know in this day and age, if you're an internet company or if you have any sort of like tech component to your business, you pretty much have to have an app for people's devices, like computers, smartphones, whatever. That's kind of just run of the mill at this point. Like if you want to survive as a business, you have to have that accessible technology component. So that's just kind of something that everybody knows you have to develop. The issue is where do you get your apps from? The app store. store. (laughs) You get your apps from the app store. So Alyssa and I are Apple users. So we exclusively get our apps from the app store. People who are not Apple users, you know, they can use Google Play. Microsoft has its own version of an app store for Xbox. Um, You know, PlayStation has its own version for its games as well. But really, the app store is like a huge, huge part of the application market. And Apple, one of the ways it makes money is it has a 30% customary fee on digital goods. So if you put your, if you're an app developer and you put your app on the app store and you make $100 off of whatever business you make off, off your app. So ad revenue, if you cost, if it costs money to download, like if it's like a dollar download or something like that, if there's any sort of like sponsorships that happen within the app. Apple gets 30% of that. So if you make $100, you're only taking home 70 because Apple gets $30 of it. Love that. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty significant chunk. Um, and Epic Games is like, that sucks. That's not fair. 
like we really have no choice but to use your platform and you're really going to take all of this from us like you're you know gatekeeping essentially yeah and apple said hey this is our app store this is our rules like it's not our fault we made ourselves indispensable you know take it or leave it yeah take it or leave it you know if you don't you don't have to put your app on the app store and epic games is like oh contraire but we do and um you know they're they're basically right and what's important here is that you know other app platforms like android how, how they have the google play store so if you were an Android user, you can download apps from other sources other than the Google Play Store. You don't have to get them from there. Um, right. But Apple does not allow for what they call um, side loading, which is where you can't externally download apps from anywhere else. Did you know that? I did not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I never thought about it before because it's never really something I've been trying to do, but mm-hmm. you can't sideload apps onto an apple product you can only get them from the app store so they kind of have a point here about you know really not giving anybody a choice if you're an apple products user you're probably not going to go out and get a whole new platform just play fortnite or whatever so yeah it's an interesting question here um and apple says that the purpose of all that not being allowed to sideload or get your apps from anywhere else they say that it's because they want to make sure that the apps that are on the store are high quality and secure and that it's for the security of the user because they have an app review board who goes through manually step-by-step and looks at everything that's eventually put onto the app store. Mm -hmm. And they claim that it's to make sure that users are only downloading things that are safe and are not going to spam any of their, you know, devices or anything like that. Um, Epic Games basically says, you know, that's BS. This is just an excuse to kind of exclude competitions. Um, and the whole reason that Epic Games is like angry about this is because they tried to circumnavigate Apple a little bit when they put Fortnite on the app store, they tried to set up their own payment mechanism and Apple was like, no, no, you can't do that. It's gotta oh. go and Epic Games is like, why? And Apple's like, because I said so. And it's, it's just been kind of this back and forth when Apple says they're just trying to circumnavigate them so they can you know, continue to make money without having to basically pay up the 30%. But Epic Games says, no, you're gatekeeping. You're just trying to prevent us from making all the money that we can make. And honestly, in my opinion, both sides really do have a point. Apple has so much power um, and they really have kind of built a very secure thing. Like a lot of people who are kind of on the side of Epic Games of this they've said that they've successfully built a walled garden and that they're just slowly brick by brick kind of building it up and not letting, you know, not letting, you know, a lot of other players in the market here. So it's kind of interesting. Um, A lot of like proponents of the Epic Games side of the argument, they say that Apple doesn't necessarily need the app store to keep users safe Mm -hmm. because there are kind of some low quality apps on the app store that have been improved. So they don't really think the argument about quality is really that much of one. Apple has said that the rules have helped create a vibrant ecosystem that benefits iPhone developers. And they've also said that, hey, Epic Games, like quit complaining. Like you've made $750 million just from App Store. So don't tell us that we're taking all your money because we're obviously you're obviously not, you know, struggling for money here. And that they say that this trial is just about money and trying to use Apple's technology without paying for it, basically. Um, Apple also argues that this is not really an issue for the gaming world because in the gaming world, there's other options besides Apple. And if you think about it, like most people aren't, at least to my knowledge, using Apple products to play video games, right? Like you're going to use an Xbox. You're going to use an Xbox or a PlayStation, maybe a Wii if you're that person. I certainly was in elementary school, but now not so much on the Wii. I still have my Wii. Do you? That's fun. I don't play it that much because I haven't figured out how to correctly plug it in and make everything else work. But, you know, (laughs) the possibilities are there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, Apple has said that this is not really an issue in the gaming world. So Epic Games just needs to calm down. And they've also defended their app review department and basically said that, you know, only 2% of malware infections on all computing platforms only 2% of those come from iOS, which is Apple's operating systems. So, you know, Apple is known for security and 
we'll, we'll give them credit for that. Um, whether it comes from the app store or not, you know, who's to say, but that's kind of been what's going on here. Um, Epic Games has also said that Apple has some super fat operating margins Ooh. from the app store, which is correct. In 2019, their operating margin was 78%, which is ridiculous. <laughs> like, it means it's very cheap to run and very lucrative for Apple's bottom line. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, they've, they've made quite a bit of money on this. And App Store, it operates as part of Apple's services business, which we don't normally think of Apple being a service business, but they certainly do have that kind of division. And that's also where they have like their Apple Care, like their warranties, Apple Music falls under there, any sort of licensing, all that kind of falls in that division along with the App Store. Um, and they've made 53.8 billion in service sales with 66% gross margin so far in 2020. So yeah, th and that's just some of the numbers that have been reported so far. So yeah, this is, uh, this is interesting. Apple's made a lot of money, but as we said, Epic Games has also made a lot of money. Um, and it, it's kind of just really more of a moral question here, in my opinion, because it's kind of comes down to like whether or not Apple really has a, a monopoly. And I'm not a monopoly, like at least a duopoly with Google Play. Oh, yeah. Um, and it also kind of highlights the core question, like what is the, the relevant market that Apple is running here? You know, because mm -hmm. Apple says it's game distribution and that there are other options, but Epic Games says the market is iPhone app distribution, which iPhone app distribution, obviously, Apple's gonna be the one in charge there. Um, but I do think it's important to note on the side of Apple that there are, you know, in the tech world, all tech companies, they, they collect app taxes. So like if you have an Amazon Fire Stick and you're downloading the Hulu app, or if you're downloading the Netflix app or anything like that, Amazon takes a little bit of money from that from Netflix because you know they're ultimately using an Amazon platform to use those streaming services. Yeah. It would be the same thing like if you had an Apple TV versus an Amazon Fire Stick. Like that's just kind of the, the nature of the beast, really, with the business. Everybody's collecting app taxes. Um, so it's not like Apple is really alone here, um, but they do take 30% of any revenue that's earned on the app store in the first year on the app store. After that, it goes to 15%. And they're a little bit nice to smaller companies. If you're a smaller company, you are only taxed 15% versus 30%. So you get a little bit of a break if you're kind of a small time app developer. Um, but I mean, there's, there's thousands of apps on the app store. It's not like everybody can make it big, you know? Mm -hmm. So 15% can still be a very big difference to somebody and their income. Um, also interesting to note, so Alyssa, are you familiar with Match Group? Match.com? Yes, yeah, so they're the owner of Match.com. They have a whole suite of dating websites and apps. They own Tinder, that's their biggest one. Um, and then they also own OkCupid and a couple of others. But um, Match Group, their biggest expense in 2020 was fees for using App Store. Yeah. They paid 500 million to Apple to keep Tinder on the App Store. 500 million. <laughs> Just to Apple to keep to keep Tinder on the App Store. Just so subpar individuals can slide into our DMs yeah, further. Absolutely. Yeah, swiping left and right all day. But um yeah, our Tinder days are behind us. But <laughs> um a lot of people have kind of thought about Apple has so much power at this point, it's almost like a utility company. And bear with me on this analogy. So okay, I'm ready. if you think about who you pay your power bill to, like to keep your lights on, that's really the only provider in the area, right? Mm. Like you don't have a choice. You don't shop around and be like, oh, do I want like Georgia power or do I want... Like, I can't even come up with any examples for competitors because there aren't any. Mm -hmm. I live in the state of Georgia. Georgia Power is our sole supplier of electricity. Um, and honestly, like, if you have an Apple device, that's how it is for Apple. Like, you can't get apps from anywhere else. That's the sole provider. They have a monopoly on anybody who chooses to buy an iPhone or a MacBook. And if you have an issue with that, I guess you just don't buy those products. But a lot of people are saying that utilities are regulated, right? So mm -hmm. 
Georgia Power cannot just crank up the electricity prices whenever they want just because they have a monopoly. That's the whole reason monopolies are not legal anymore is because there was just price gouging on consumers and people were paying out the wazoo for just because there was no one else who could compete. So monopolies in the utility industry are okay because they're regulated by the government. Like you have to go to your state or local government and ask for permission to like raise prices or make any major changes in your business plan. A lot of people think Apple should be kind of um, run the same way where they have to get permission and they should be regulated like a utility because they're just exploitive, honestly, at this point. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an interesting question. And they think that, you know, with the monopoly on iPhones, they should, you know, be asking like the government or it kind of goes into question who would they even ask these questions to like how much should they be charging for app taxes and things of that nature so we'll see what happens with this trial um like i said the question kind of going forward for apple and for epic games is like is apple a monopoly and are they unfairly cornering the app distribution market so Mm -hmm. But yeah, this will be probably a three-week trial, roughly, is kind of the estimate. And it's a judge trial, not a jury trial. I didn't look too much into the legal ramifications of this and why it would be with a judge as opposed to a jury. My guess is because it's kind of like a business law case. A lot of just normal people who would be coming and serving for jury duty just like don't have the knowledge of the industry or the expertise to kind of really like understand it and like yeah. make a informed decision about a verdict. So I'm guessing that's why it would go to a judge. Um, along with the fact that like, it's not like this would be a national issue. It wouldn't really just be like in one local jurisdiction. So it'd be tough to kind of pull a jury from there. But it's interesting because Apple CEO Tim Cook could potentially testify in this case, which yeah, he's, um, we've seen him talking to Congress a little bit, but we have not really seen a ton of Tim Cook kind of in the legal space sharing his thoughts and opinions on things so mm-hmm. we'll see a lot of people on the side of Apple are like well like good for them you know like they can make all this money because they've built such an amazing product that people don't want to live without and you know people don't like it they can go buy a droid but you know it's a personal preference thing so sure. Alyssa what is your take on all this I don't really have a set opinion because like, honestly, despite your lovely explanation and thorough research, I still don't really understand what we're all up in arms about. I understand it's mainly money, but I can't say that I have a high stake in what they're fighting over, if that makes any sense. No, it Um, does. I do want to say that um, the match.com comment that I made, that was purely a joke. I did not know that they were actually owned by a group called match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they are the biggest player in the online dating space. <laughs> wow. We, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah, I'm kind of with you. I mean, at the end of the day, like it's kind of a trickle down effect on the individual consumer, but it really is more about the app developers and the businesses who are using Apple's technology um, yeah. to, kind of get, to get their services out there. It's not really something that is going to affect us. I mean, we are Apple users, so we do use the App Store. And But I mean, I can't complain about malware. Like, I think Apple really has held up their end of the bargain in terms of security. Mm-hmm. So I haven't downloaded any faulty apps or anything like that. So, but I don't know. That being said, 30% is a lot. It is. It definitely is. Especially when you think about like how big of a company Apple is already. Like 30% with thousands and thousands of apps, all of which are making money, if not off ad revenue through sponsorships or, you know, downloads if you have to pay for it. So we'll see what happens. We'll give you guys an update in, I guess, assuming the trial does wrap up in the next three weeks, we'll kind of dive back into it a little bit and see what happens. So yeah, that's what I got on Apple. So now we we do the Fortnite dance to segue into your next story. (laughs) Fortnite dance all the way into story number two. So my next story is called patent protection for for profit. Too many. Yes. 
Um, so this is kind of something that has been discussed this week. Um, President Biden has come out and said that he is in support of waiving patent protections on the approved COVID-19 vaccines in America so that mm -hmm. other countries can easily replicate and distribute vaccines to their own countries so that they're not, you know, dealing with the virus forever. Yes. <laughs> so they can hopefully get their people vaccinated. And we know that the U.S. is far ahead of pretty much anyone else right now in terms of vaccination rates. Yeah, so that's that's kind of something that President Biden has come out and said, and there's quite a bit of controversy and discussion over this. So mm -hmm. I'll just dive right into it. So there's a lot of factors at play here. So in terms of money being made on actual vaccines, Alyssa, do you think these companies like Pfizer, Moderna, and J&J, &J, do you think they're making money off this? Or do you think it's like kind of break even for them or you think they're losing money? Like what is, what would you say? I definitely don't think they're making money. Um, I side on breaking even or even losing money at this point. Okay. So that's not a bad guess. Um, so Johnson and Johnson, since they've been developing and since they've been granted emergency approval for their vaccine, they have vowed that they're not going to make any money on it. Okay. which you could argue it's PR move. You could argue maybe they actually care about the state of the world. Whatever your take is on that. Johnson & Johnson's not making many, any money off of its vaccine. Um, so Pfizer, for every dollar it makes off of its vaccine, it's it actually earns like roughly 20 cents of that after okay. you account for all of the expenses and the research and development it took to actually like create the vaccine. So Pfizer makes about 20 cents on the dollar for the vaccine, so 20% margin roughly. Okay. Uh, Moderna makes 71 cents on the dollar. Okay. <laughs> so that's a 71% profit margin, which is wild. As we just talked about with the Apple story and how they made 78% margins on their app store. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like nobody really has any business <laughs> making that much money. Not at all. Of anything which i mean it's like it's very impressive that they've been able to keep costs down that much either that or the price of the product is just too high those are kind yeah. of the factors that come into play when you're talking about margins and i won't get into the granular details of the accounting but because no one wants to hear me talk about accounting but i do <laughs> well i appreciate that but a 71 percent margin is a fat margin it is and it's more or less unheard of, especially in the pharmaceutical industry when it costs so much money to invest in creating a new drug, a new treatment, or a new vaccine. With the money that Pfizer and Moderna have been making on the vaccines, their stocks have been at record highs, which, you know, it makes sense. And also because they have all this positive PR right now and people are throwing around Pfizer and Moderna left and right. Mm -hmm. so, oh, which shot did you get? I mean, we talk about it all the time. Literally I had this conversation yesterday. <laughs> I never cared about either of these companies like prior to the pandemic. And now it's like, oh, all the time, you know, they yeah. come up. Even so, though most of the time you don't really have a say in which one you get until you're literally being led down the hallway to the room. Mm -hmm. This is a podcast divided. Alyssa got Moderna and I got Pfizer. So. I did. Once again, I was led down a hallway and was told you're getting Moderna. Yep. Same here. Yeah. As I said, at the top of the story, Biden has kind of announced his support for temporarily waiving patent protection on all three vaccines. So other drug companies could get access to the recipe basically. Okay. So, and that they could easily replicate it. Um, the recipe? The recipe. I don't know what else to call it. I know, but I just love it because all of, I, I'm automatically thinking of like the Krabby Patty recipe. <laughs> Krabby Patty recipe. See, I was thinking like the, the secret formula for Coke. That's like, oh yeah, that too. Yeah. You know, in a vault somewhere and then God knows where, but um, anyway, this, this is obviously news that the stock market didn't like mm -hmm. for shareholders of Moderna and Pfizer. They kind of dumped the stock. It went down 16% this week. And the whole reason for waiving patent protection on this, because if everyone probably knows this, but just in case, when you create a product, you go to the U.S. Patent Office and you file a patent because you're like, I don't want anybody to make money off this idea. This is my idea. Even if That's I don't know me. where it's This is me. I want credit for this. Even if you don't know where it's going, if you have an idea and it hasn't been created already, you file a patent for it. You always get that in writing. This mm -hmm. is 101. And that's what Pfizer and Moderna did. They have patents on their vaccines. 
mm-hmm. because they're not, you know, whatever goes into either of them. They're similar because they're both mRNA vaccines, but they're not the same thing. Um, so they went and they got patents and the president, he supports waiving the protection. So that basically means that the recipe for these vaccines would be leaked to other drug companies. No, the scandal. The scandal, that's right. Um, And the idea behind this, it sounds like a bad thing, but it's really supposed to help developing nations kind of develop their own vaccine. Um, Absolutely. And it's actually not President Biden's call because even though he is the United States president and he can say, you know, what he says obviously makes a difference. Mm -hmm. It's really kind of the role of the World Trade Organization to make a call about this because this is a global health and humanitarian crisis yeah so they would have to make the call on it but a lot of people think that because president biden has expressed support for it that the wto would express support for it as well they're chill with um, it. but this would be an unprecedented break in incentives and a very big ripple in capitalism mm-hmm. um because it would really be troubling because I don't know how much you're familiar with like the pharmaceutical industry, but it can take years and years and years and billions and billions of dollars to make one product, Mm -hmm. like one drug, one vaccine, whatever, like research and development. Like it's so many smart people have to do the lab testing. They have to do the research. They have to do I mean, I don't even know what goes into it because I'm not a science person, but there's there's a lot of research and development that goes into pharmaceuticals more so than any other industry. Mm-hmm. And that's why people hate big pharma because they charge whatever the heck they want for these products. And sometimes you look at the prices, like for some cancer treatments like Keytruda, if you've heard of that, mm-hmm. that costs thousands and, and thousands of dollars like per dose. Jesus. Yeah. And the justification for it is like, well, we sunk all this money into it. We can't afford not to charge a lot for it. Mm-hmm. People who are not on the capitalism train are like, well, that's cruel. Like if you, how can you create something that is going to like supposedly save people's lives or increase their quality of life just to gouge them out the eyes price-wise, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's a fair argument. Um, but a lot of people are kind of concerned because if there's ever another pandemic, and these what companies are we about are losing, to do? <laughs> yeah, well, if these companies are losing their patent protection, other healthcare companies down the line are going to be like, oh, I'm not going to bother making anything to help out with this because they're just going to take it away from me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. Why would I sink time and money into this if I'm not going to get any money out of it? Mm-hmm. Which is also a fair argument. Um, so it, if companies would potentially be less motivated down the line to develop drugs or vaccines and I don't even want to think about the prospect of a future pandemic because we're still in a current one but right so that's um that's a little scary but if there's no patent protection you know that could potentially be a factor in the decision making of some pharmaceutical companies Mm -hmm. um but there's a caveat here so the U.S. government invested six billion dollars in grants to pharmaceutical companies to get them to develop the vaccines Okay. With the exception of Pfizer. Pfizer decided to like start working on this on their own. But Merck, their product failed. But Merck, J&J, Moderna, they were all the recipients of these grants. So they got a little bit of funding help from the U.S. government to start developing these products. It wasn't just, let's take all this money out of our bank account and pour it in to COVID-19 vaccine research. Yeah. And the U.S. government also invested $6 billion in pre-orders for vaccines before any of these were even approved for emergency use through the FDA. So, and that's kind of why the vaccine rollout has been better in richer company, in, excuse me, richer countries because governments like the US have poured in money ahead of time. So they would be first in the line to get these vaccines. Yeah. Um, which again, is it fair? I don't know. It's, it's kind of a moral gray area here. Um, but Moderna, we saw that they're making 71% margins on their vaccine, and they did get this support from the government to do it, and they're not really paying it forward to the American people. 
the way they should be the way that maybe they should be and if not the american people maybe the global population mm-hmm. so a lot of people who do support the patent protection waiver they say that the vaccines are a product of taxpayer investment and it needs to ultimately come back to them um so there are like potentially other ways to get vaccines to developing countries without giving them the recipe like there's ways around this basically um you could say that you know big pharma companies they could just like sell all of their doses at developing nations like if not at either at cost of what it makes to manufacture it or at just like a very very cheap price cheaper mm-hmm. than it's sold here in the u.s because we're obviously a wealthier country than those in the developing world um the issue for that is it can still be too expensive for nations to buy enough doses for all of its people, even if it is sold to them at cost. Mm-hmm. And also there's supply chain issues. Like there's only three companies in the United States that have these working vaccines. That's really not a lot when you think about the global population. They can't possibly supply all of those people with their shots, right? No. Like they don't have the manufacturing capabilities. They don't have the space. They don't have the worker capacity. There's just no way that they could really get all of that to work. So that's why there's kind of a little bit of a push to waive that protection. So it would be something that developing countries can make on their own, as opposed to just letting J&J and Moderna and Pfizer do it all themselves and then just ship it abroad. Um, but yeah, that's, um, that's kind of the gist of it, kind of some other issues here. It's not just about having the recipe for the vaccine. It's about having the technology to reproduce it. So I didn't, I didn't know this, but there's a lot of like very specific, expensive technology that goes into the production of vaccines. And a lot of developing countries don't have that either. Mm-hmm. So they would need not only the recipe, but they would need that technology. Um, so Dr. Fauci, you know, cause we, we love him and we love all of his, um, work that he's done on this pandemic and the poor man has not taken a day off and over. Truly. So he is the hero we do not deserve, but the hero we definitely need right now. Literally, um, like as soon as everything is over, like I want to start like a GoFundMe to pay for his vacation. Like yeah. we won't see him for the next five years, hopefully. Yeah. So I he mean, can rest. Yeah. I'm sure he's like worked more in this past year than um, most of us will in a decade, but. Absolutely. So his take on this, because I feel like it's important to add because he's kind of the leading expert on all this stuff. His take is that drug makers just need to ramp up production Mm -hmm. and they need to supply the developing world with the vaccine at extremely diminished prices, like even to the point where they would be losing money on it or that they should just transfer the technology that is used to create the, the vaccine to the developing world so that they can make like cheap generic copies of the vaccine basically okay um because as we said it's about the technology not just about what goes into the actual vial Mm -hmm. of the dose um he says you can't have people throughout the world dying because they don't have access to a product that rich people have access to truly which is correct um and you think about it the u.s is far ahead of vaccine distribution at this point. I mean, I haven't looked at the numbers in a couple of days, but I want to say like over 30% of the country has like at least one dose so far. Mm-hmm. Does that or sound wait. right to you? I, I did a story about this at work and I feel like it was, what'd you, what was the number you said? 30%. I honestly feel like it's higher than that with just one dose. Like I I feel like it's higher. I don't know right off the top of my head, but I do think it's higher than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would have to look up the numbers again, but I mean, because it's going well here and because states have access to all the vaccines more or less that they need. And generally speaking right now, it's anyone who wants a vaccine is able to, you know, make an appointment for one. Pretty much and like the one. logistics of getting an appointment and where to go. That's another problem, but there's enough to take care of everybody. And we should say that not everybody wants a vaccine. There are plenty of people out there who don't trust the product or they don't want to bother with it, or they don't want to deal with the side effects, like whatever their situation is. Yes. So 
a lot of people say, okay, we more or less have it handled here, at least in terms of having enough of the product to get to everyone who wants it. Maybe mm-hmm. we should shift our attention to the developing world and kind of help them out a little bit. Because in places like India and South America, there has been massive COVID surges. Devastation. Yeah, I mean, it's scary. Like their numbers, they just keep going up and their hospitals are overrun and people are are dying and it's really not not going well over there. So President Biden is under immense pressure to kind of help the developing world. In Britain and the European Union, they've also kind of been under pressure for it. But they have been blocking a plan to kind of waive patent protection on the okay. AstraZeneca one. So, and the US has kind of done the same thing so far. So, I don't know. Um, a lot of proponents of not waiving the patent protection, they say that just because you have a recipe doesn't mean you're going to make it correctly, which to be honest is fair. How many times have you looked up a recipe on the internet and it was supposed to be amazing and you taste it and you're like, oh. More than I can count. <laughs> yeah, as someone who doesn't cook much, like I don't even bother with recipes because I keep I just, trying just because I'm a fool. <laughs> hey, you know what? A for effort though. Um, and others say that it would be really damaging to entrepreneurship and innovation because, oh, like you made this really awesome product that's going to save all these lives. Like, cool, we'll take it from here. You don't get to make any more money on it. Mm-hmm. So other people say it's really kind of a moral problem. It's not about the money. It's about the health of the world. And that it's bad politics to side with the drug maker executives because like nobody likes them anyway. <laughs> a lot of people hate big pharma. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of an icky industry a lot of times, honestly. Yeah. So, but it's, it's really about precedent here. That's kind of the theme of both of my stories. It's about precedent and kind of the moral area about incentives and about the outcome of whatever is decided and what it means going forward for these companies. So Alyssa, I kind of want to know what your take on this is. I completely understand where people are coming from, where they're like, we need to worry about ourselves first. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, this isn't an epidemic. It's a pandemic. It is affecting the entire world. We've all been struggling for the past year and a half now. And I am all about extending an olive branch to other people so that we as a a world can thrive and be better. So I don't necessarily have a problem with it on a base level, because once again, you know, we, we don't know every single detail that there is to know. Um, But metaphorically in, you know, sorry, I blinked on the word in, in, a metaphorical stance, I'm here for it because I want to help these other people because all this week, all I've seen every morning when I go into work is India. Right. And I've seen footage from the hospitals and how crowded they are and overwhelmed they are. And it breaks my heart. Not saying that India is still the only country that's struggling at this point, but that's who's like really in the main eye right now. And it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And I think what's also important to talk about is the fact that like we don't have time to twiddle our thumbs and wait for the World Trade Organization to make a decision. Absolutely like, not. The the time spent discussing this is time that could be used getting these people help. Like every day that goes by for someone in the hospital could potentially be another mm-hmm. day closer to recovery or not surviving yes. this awful disease. So I think everyone, I mean, nobody can get it together very well. That's been the whole issue with this thing for this start is like slow reaction to get everything locked down, to get people to wear masks, to get people vaccinated. Like there's been issues from the get-go. So I should not be shocked that we're like twiddling our thumbs in terms of making a decision. Mm -hmm. But I think that's important to talk about is the fact that like, it's a matter of life and death. It's not just about the precedent for business. It's not just about the legal precedent, you know, it's life and death. And while I totally understand the importance of setting a precedent, who's to say when another pandemic will be, you know, like it could be in five years, it could be in 50 years. 
we don't know. And there's so much that would change in terms of business and the developing world in the United States and in big pharma between now and whenever the next pandemic is. Mm -hmm. And while I'm all for planning for the future, I think there's something to be said about tackling the problem that's right in front of you before you look too far down the road. Yes. So I'm kind of the opinion that if we don't waive patent protection, we should do what Dr. Fauci said and at least have the drug companies sell at, you know, very cheap, if not give it away, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and that's not completely unprecedented either. Like um, the pharmaceutical company Merck, they made this one drug that works really well for this disease that's native to Africa called river blindness, where if you drink this like specific water, the the rivers with like a bunch of parasites in it, like, you know, you go blind. Yes. And Merck had developed this drug that was extremely, extremely effective in treating that. Mm -hmm. And they decided to ultimately give the drug away for free for treatment of that. So big pharma companies have done stuff like that before. And I personally think like, even if, they're not making money off the sales of the vaccines to the developing world. They're certainly getting, I don't want to say brownie points, but they're getting like PR bumps Yes, to give it away. And I think that can be valuable for not only a stock price, but for brand recognition too. Mm-hmm. Like J&J is a very trusted healthcare company because of what happened when the Tylenol was tampered with. You remember the story? The Tylenol poisonings. Yeah, the Tylenol poisonings. They revoked everything on the shelves. They overcorrected, which in crisis management and business, you're supposed to overcorrect. Yes. Because it's so much better to overcorrect than undercorrect, and you will have much stronger brand recognition and more trust from the public, generally speaking, if you overcorrect and overreact to a problem to solve it. So that's um, from a business perspective and from a moral perspective, that's what I think they should do. I think they should overcompensate for mm-hmm. all this terrible tragedy that's going on in the developing world. And I think they should just get them the doses for free um, and just, you know, go from there. So that's Hand my it over. Hand it over. That's right. That's right. So that's all I got for us today. All righty. So, I would like to start my first story by setting a scene, and I would like you to come along with me on this journey. Where are we going? March 12th, 2020. I don't want to go back there. Too bad. (laughs) You already signed the waiver. Your seatbelt is buckled. We are in the time machine. Oh, the point of no return. Don't say that. We have possibilities. So on this day, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo ordered that all Broadway theaters be shut down mm-hmm. until further notice. Mm-hmm. It's a very sad day yes. for theater children such as myself. But there is hope for the future because now that vaccines are rising and infection numbers are falling, They have announced that the official return to Broadway is now set for September 14th, 2021. Woo! Woo! So for right now, because obviously there's a lot of time uh, to pass between now and September 14th, there are pop-up shows that are currently taking place on Broadway, but obviously, you know, things aren't completely eradicated at this point, as we have discussed. And social distancing really doesn't work in a Broadway mindset. No, not on stage and certainly not for the audience either. Absolutely not. So these poor performers, as well as the people that are hiring professionals to work on Broadway, as well as executing the shows on Broadway, they have to pretty much restart their entire timeline and they have to gather their casts together, start rehearsals, prepare on how to fill these seats in a safe and sanitary way. And it's very upsetting because, you know, this has been obviously a very sad year. And when it comes to you know, things that we look towards when it comes to, you know, New York, everybody knows about Broadway. 
-hmm. Annabelle's been to Broadway. I've been to Broadway. It's a magical place. And it's so sad because there have been so many shows that were actually preparing to go to Broadway right before everything shut down. Like there's a show that I'm going to mention later, their start date, like their premiere date on Broadway was literally the day everything got shut down. Oh no. Right. It's terrible. So the specifics are going to be announced on a show by show basis in the upcoming weeks. And a lot of longtime productions are likely going to wait until September because, you know, with mainstays like the Phantom of the Opera and Wicked and the Lion Wicked, King. yes. Yeah. Lion thank you, because I was blanking on other longtime productions. But they're probably going to wait because they already have the notoriety. Like people are still going to go see all of these shows because they've been there for so long and they're amazing. Mm -hmm. So they're going to wait for September, but all these other shows that are newer probably want to get up there as soon as possible because, you know, people may not know about them. They may not do their research before coming to New York and buying tickets for Broadway. So you really just want to get up there as soon as possible and impress people now harry potter and the cursed child is just one example of a show that is probably not going to make a comeback until 2022 Mm -hmm. because they have to reevaluate their whole schedule obviously i haven't seen the show so i don't know what exactly they're working with in terms of like you know like cast special effects what's going on there but i'm excited for them and The show that I mentioned earlier is called Six. Are you familiar with Six? I'm not actually. Oh my gosh. Okay. You're going to love it. I need you to go on Spotify immediately and look up Six because it is a show centered around the six ex-wives of King Henry VIII. Oh man. In a girl group format. Oh, right. And basically the whole show is them trying to decide who's going to be like the main star of the girl group. And they, so it is his six wives or they make up the girl group. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's fun. That's so creative. I love that. And the music is phenomenal. Like it's been on the West end for a while now. And I am personally a really big fan of the soundtrack. I listen to it every now and then, like sometimes when I'm at work, you know, like things get monotonous and I just listen to an entire Broadway soundtrack, like by there. And that's how I came to know six is through my late nights at work. But I'm really excited for them because I think they're going to have so much success come like their Broadway debut because they've already been so popular in the West End. So really hyping them up, excited for them. If you have time and you like Broadway show tunes, go look up six. When you say the West End, are you talking about London? Yes. The West End of London, that's their theater. Yeah. The West End is basically London's equivalent to Broadway. To Broadway. Okay. That's (laughs) what I thought. I couldn't I have not been able to see a show on the West End because when I was in London for the short time period that I was, we were doing other things. But hopefully in the future, I would love to go back and see a show on the West End. Mm -hmm. Um, There are also new plays that are going to be premiering come the return of Broadway. And most of these that I'm going to, well, all of these that I'm going to mention are by Black writers who were inspired to write their shows based on last summer's protests. Mm -hmm. So I would like to give a few highlights really quick. Please do. (laughs) Kenan Scott II's Thoughts of a Colored Man which is, sounds really interesting. There are more um, in-depth synopses online that you can look up if you're so inclined. Um, Antoinette Chinonye Nwandu's Passover and Ruben Santiago Hudson's Lackawanna Blues. Okay. So those are just a few of some of the plays that are going to be coming back by Black writers. So please look into them because I did read synopses for all of them. And a lot of them, you know, like I said, were inspired by the protests. So they have very intense topics, but just because they're a little intense doesn't mean that they don't deserve, you know, the same admiration and attention as, you know, all these like high kicking, happy go lucky shows because Broadway plays, you know, they get kind of put to the side because, you know, they don't have like all the musical dance numbers and whatnot, but they're fantastic. So yeah, no, I was going to say, I think 
generally when people think of Broadway, they think about like the lights and the glitz and the glamour of the musicals. And that's obviously probably the bread and butter of Broadway, but there definitely are plays as well that are not necessarily all about like show tunes and singing and dancing. So Mm -hmm. if you're not a musical person, there's definitely other options for you on Broadway. And I should point out because I have to have a business thing here. Um, The closing of Broadway is not just a loss of revenue for the theaters or for the state of New York. It's people out of work. Absolutely. It's a lot of actors. That's a lot of theater production people. It's a lot of playwrights and composers. It's a lot of people who don't have a place of work right now. So Mm -hmm. it's extremely important that once they're able to safely do so that they can reopen. Yes. And I, I feel like a lot of people don't realize just how many people are involved in the productions, like right. you mentioned, because, you know, when you think of shows like Chicago, Wicked, you obviously think of the main characters, but all of these shows are nothing without their ensemble casts. Right. And those can range anywhere from like 20 to like 50 to 100 people working Mm -hmm. behind the scenes to make sure that all these performances go off without a hitch. So it's so many people out of work right now. Like you said, with the composers and the writers, you know, you have a live band normally in Mm -hmm. the theater with, yeah, the accompaniment. It's, it's insane. And it's so sad that we've pretty much lost a year, but I'm really excited about this. Also, with this announcement for the return of Broadway, it also gives um, hope for the 74th annual Tony Awards, which are now going to be held in conjunction to the reopening of Broadway. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, right? Yeah. I'm really excited. Um, Also, if anyone listening is a fan of Alanis Morissette, she has a show on Broadway called Jagged Little Pill, named after her album. And it was nominated for the most Tony Awards at the 74th annual ceremony. So get into that because it's a great show. It's awesome. All right, I'll look into it. Do you have a favorite Broadway play or musical, Alyssa? Oh my gosh. Okay, so like I've mentioned multiple times before, I am a thespian. I was a thespian in high school. I grew up in local theater and I made up a lot of those ensemble casts. Oh gosh, probably Hairspray is my all-time favorite, followed very closely by Grease. Okay, those are both good ones. I've actually never seen stage productions of either of those, (gasps) but I do love the music from them both. (laughs) Yes. Hairspray was actually my first show I ever saw on Broadway. So, Very nice. mm-hmm. what about you, babe? So, my first one I ever saw was The Lion King. So, nah. yeah, that one is like not even just a musical, like that's an event. The costumes oh, yeah. and the scenery on that, like the stage design is pretty incredible. Um, so, I think that's, that's a favorite for sure. Um, I've seen, I've been to New York, like, I think three times in my life, and each time I went, I was able to thankfully see a musical, so I saw uh, Lion King the first time, the second time I saw South Pacific, which is a fun one. Oh, yes. I've never seen that. Um, Love it. And then the last time I went up there, I was by myself, and I was up there for a job interview, and it was a Monday night, and I was like, oh, man, I want, does Broadway, like, do they do things on Monday? Yeah. New York, New York doesn't sleep, so no. yes, they absolutely do. And I went, and I was able to get a rush ticket for thirty-five dollars on the day of, and I yes. went and saw Chicago on Broadway. And it was yes. Blast. So I'll go with Chicago just for like personal memories of it. But there's there's a lot of good options out there. I love some Chicago. Um, let he me had think. He had it coming. Have, have I ever told you the story of me doing cell block tango in high school? Oh yes. Okay, and how yeah, I so told Lisa you was the um hungarian woman i did and i still know every line to her little um moment not in... guilty not guilty me get a shikari goes moyaka hair cover every to my fan anyways uh, <laughs> yeah i've seen hairspray on broadway i've seen newsies um sister act with patina miller which was really cool because she wasn't as big of a star as she is now um i'm pretty sure i don't know for certain but i've looked up the timeline and i'm pretty sure that matthew morrison of glee fame was playing link larkin when i saw hairspray on broadway oh no way i'm that's funny 
because he was um lieutenant cable in south pacific and he literally left two weeks before i went to go see the show <gasps> oh my god so, kind of a bummer so i did not get to see matthew morrison live but that's okay i've seen wicked and it's amazing i've seen it in atlanta i haven't seen it on broadway yes but- ma'am i think those are all the shows i'm sorry if i'm missing one they're all fantastic all should go see them but i think it's yes. interesting that i feel like hamilton has somewhat set this trend of doing musicals based on history yes and that's pr- i feel like six like you said is probably going to be really successful because of the music being a girl group and just a little bit more like i don't want to say woke but like <laughs> having a very female heavy cast I'm pretty sure it's all female. It is, is a good thing. And when you look at Hamilton, a lot of the leads are people of color, which is awesome as well. Yes. So I think um, that's-, that's also a thing that Six does, or at least they did on the West End. Like they have like black women, white women, Latino women, Asian women playing these roles that are obviously like historically white which is really cool and it's very hip-hop inspired like I'm gonna have to send you my favorite tracks from the show but it's so cool and recently my two favorite shows to just listen to like when I'm at work and whatnot I love the prom soundtrack I love it so much the movie is questionable but I love the (laughs) I love the soundtrack and this one's not as well known as others, but it actually won the Tony Award for Best Musical a few years ago. It's called Fun Home, mm-hmm. and it's based off of the autobiographical comic made by Alison Bechtel, which you may not recognize the name, but do you know what the Bechtel test is, Annabelle? I do. She created it. Oh, okay. So it's like her life story and not going to lie. It's really sad, but it's so well done. So whenever I'm just in the mood for a good cry, I listen to the fun home soundtrack and it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Also fun fact, first musical to ever be on Broadway that stars a lesbian main character. That's important. Awesome. Right? So Mm -hmm. that's it for my little um pedestal on Broadway so now this isn't as expansive but I wanted to get in to the recent comments made by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association about what changes are going to be made to the Golden Globes going forward oh okay stir the pot stir the pot anyways so a slate has been approved it was approved on Thursday, intended to address the lack of diversity in the ranks of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. And the main goals of this slate are to increase membership by 50% over the next 18 months, quote, with specific focuses on recruiting Black members, unquote, because currently there are none. There are none? None. No Black members on the HFPA. Wow. Yeah. Not good. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) Um, They're also going to hire a diversity, equality, and inclusion strategist. They're going to establish a committee to advise the board on diversity, as well as set up a hotline so people can voice their ideas and issues with the HFPA and get right on it. And you're probably thinking to yourself, well, all this sounds fantastic. Members of Hollywood don't think so. Why? Well, are you familiar with Time's Up? I don't think so. Okay, so they were, they caught a lot of notoriety during um, the fallout of the Harvey Weinstein Me Too movement situation. And they're an organization based in Hollywood made of like filmmakers and whatnot. And they addressed this slate that the HFPA announced um, and are calling the changes, quote, window dressing platitudes. Hmm. So they don't think it's enough? They think it's just for show, basically? Yes, exactly. Um, The president and chief executive, Tina Chen, called it hardly transformational. 
And she said, quote, these are the same fundamental problems that have existed for years, and they're going to continue existing no matter what this slate, you know, says or does. Like, you know, they're really just saying like, okay, you're going to talk the talk. Let's see you walk the walk, Mm -hmm. you know, which is totally understand. Yeah, (laughs) which makes sense. Yes. Scarlett Johansson has also come out in opposition of this slate. She said that she faced sexist questions and remarks from members of the HFPA in the past that, quote, bordered on sexual harassment. And she has recently refused to participate in any of the conferences organized by the HFPA, saying that this organization is, quote, legitimized by the likes of Harvey Weinstein, as well as, you know, other problematic people in the past. So she's saying basically, you know, we we hate this gentleman. You know, we spent so much time in the past few years criticizing him and what he did to so many people, but yet the HFPA pretty much wouldn't be considered as big of a deal if not for people like Harvey Weinstein. Okay. So saying like, why should we trust them if he's such a big backer of it, which I totally understand like parts of that, you know, it's a very complex issue. It's not black and white at all. Um, But also coming out in, you know, opposition to the HFPA's reform is Mark Ruffalo, who recently won a, a Golden Globe this year. And he said, quote, I cannot be proud to be a recipient of this award because of all the issues that have transpired in the past years, as well as, you know, not having enough diversity on their actual board when they're trying to claim all these, you know, diversity, diversity trophies, basically. Right. It sounds like a lot of people then just think it needs a complete overhaul. Yes, absolutely. Do we even call it the golden globes anymore do we just make it something different going forward so i know right completely like kill it and just start from scratch um netflix and amazon have also stopped doing business with the hfpa in recent months just temporarily to see you know what's going to be done in the future to fix their issues um so there's no telling whether or not these business relationships will resume or if they're cut off for good. But I just thought it was really interesting how so many like high profile names and organizations have come out in such a quick span of time. Like I said, this slate was approved on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And these people are like, uh uh uh, no, no, no. So I was very impressed by that, but also like intrigued about what's gonna happen in the future. I think that's a general shift in how the world is moving. I think you were expected to give a statement about things that affect you. And I think you were expected to take action. And I, I really think we're living in an era where like silence is not okay anymore. Because no. just for an example, if you look at like the major league baseball organization pulled the 2021 all-star game out of Atlanta yes. because they were against a voter bill that was recently passed in the state of Georgia, which many believe to be extremely restrictive for voting. Mm -hmm. And and it is by the way, but, and a lot of businesses have also come out and said the same thing. And it's not really a world anymore where business CEOs or, you know, anyone who is a heavy hitter, you can't Mm -hmm. just be quiet anymore you need to voice an opinion one way or the other about how you feel about something because otherwise people are going to think you don't care. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I know. Such a little tied together there. Yeah. Cute little bow on it, you know, but that's pretty much all I had for that story, but just wanted to, you know, start the conversation and see where we were going with it. You know, do you think it's enough or do you think it's window dressing? Honestly, I think it's a little bit of both, you know, like I would love to see these tactics actually executed in real time. But until then, I do feel that it's very much just trying to cover their own butts. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's a bad start for sure. As long as they commit to more 
fundamental changes down the road exactly um, yeah and and don't slip back into their old ways I mm-hmm. think like change is not change has to be conscious and change has to be purposeful it's not mm-hmm. just something that you know is going to come into play over time mm-hmm. you really kind of have to make it happen if there's like a fundamental issue with something so yes yay yeah all right so we had we had a little bit more of a a deep episode for you guys this week so hopefully that was okay with everybody but um very if not you know that's okay too everyone has their opinions and we respect all (laughs) but Alyssa you got anything else for us this week not really um I'm just kind of no one's birthday is today that I know of uh that I personally care that much about and i'm just kind of oh bts released the first teaser image for their uh next english single butter which comes out two or three weeks from now um they released it this morning and my boyfriend has pink hair and i was a little shooketh so okay i was that was occupying most of my thoughts this morning so yes well that's understandable pink hair is indeed shocking it is (laughs) (laughs) It's like, this is like the segment where I just talk about BTS. I, I ask if she has anything else and she's like, well, BTS. <laughs> They're just so active right now. I can't like, just wait until they go off to their military service and I'm going to be like, it's day 42 without any sign. I hope them. <laughs> nuts. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us this week for another episode of Woe is Media. We will be back. I don't know if we will be back next Sunday. Listen, I have to discuss because yours truly will be on vacation and unable to podcast, but we will figure something out um, to fill in the gaps. But once again, happy Mother's Day for all those who celebrate. And thank you for listening. Have a great week, everybody. Yay!